Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 1. What I want us to see in uh, this sermon this morning is the importance of the virgin conception and birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a sermon on the virgin birth, but what I want to argue is that it is central to the nativity story, to the story of Christmas. One of the central themes is the miraculous nature of the conception of Jesus and obviously his birth. So I want to try to argue that. I want to show that from Luke chapter 1 in particular, but I'll make reference also to the second chapter uh, as well. I want us to see the importance of this teaching. It's an important doctrine uh, in Christianity. You can't be a Christian unless you believe this. I want to read the text, which is verse 26 through 38. So this is the visit of the angel Gabriel to Mary. In the sixth month, now let me just, why is that said? Well, if we had read the previous paragraph about the announcement of John's birth, that is, John the Baptist and his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, a couple of old people who didn't have any kids, and they're going to have John given to them. That story precedes this one. Elizabeth gets pregnant six months before Mary becomes pregnant with Jesus. So that's the meaning of in the sixth month, referring to when the angel Gabriel visited Zechariah in the temple to tell him, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John, and so on. Okay, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Literally in the Greek it is, How shall this be since I do not know a man? That's how it's expressed. Knowing a man or knowing a a woman is the way the Bible talks about intimate relationships between them. How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So that's the enunciation of the birth of Jesus to Mary. This doctrine that the church has held to for many, many centuries essentially is that the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived without a human father. Let that sink in. There was no man involved in Mary's pregnancy. She was, he was born of a virgin. This is expressed uh, as early as the Nicene Creed in 381. Speaking of Jesus Christ, who for us and, our for, and for our salvation came down from heaven and was made flesh of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became a man. So going back to the 4th century, the church expressed it in the Nicene Creed. So this is regarded as one of the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. The last poll that was taken of American Christians, which was in 2017, how many those who profess to be followers of Christ, how many believe in the virgin birth? Only 66%. So there's people out there who think that they're Christians who don't believe this, and you cannot be a Christian and not believe it because it's the plain teaching of the Word of God. And to be a Christian, you have to embrace what is taught about Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Now, what we want to look at are five things. These are five lines of argument found in Luke's nativity story, Luke's account of the birth of Christ, that brings out the fact that the virgin conception and the virgin birth of Jesus is an underpinning doctrine to the whole story. 
It's central. It's like right there, and you have to embrace it that way. And I want to begin with the, the fact that Dr. Luke sets before us two birth annunciations. I mentioned the one of John the Baptist, which comes first. I wish I had time to read it, but read Luke 1, verses 5 through 25, and it's the account of the angel Gabriel going to Zechariah, who was a priest in the temple, and telling him, you're going to have a son, you and your wife Elizabeth. Now, there's a, there's a miraculous element in John's birth. And it comes out when it says that Elizabeth was barren. Twice it says it in Luke 1. That means she was infertile. She couldn't have children. And then in addition to that, they're both old. They're in old age, Zechariah and his wife. So you put those two together and you've got something miraculous happened for this old couple to have a son when they're old. And Elizabeth had not had any children. So John's birth was miraculous. Now, why does Luke give us that? Well, it's important to the whole story. Who was John? This was to be John the Baptist. And he's actually related to Jesus because his mother, Mary, is a relative of Elizabeth. But we don't know exactly what their relationship is. Some say they were cousins. But there was some blood relationship between Mary and Elizabeth. And John the Baptist became the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a prophet. And he was sent before Jesus to the people of Israel to begin preaching that the Lord is coming, meaning Yahweh is coming. Prepare the way for his coming. So he was baptizing the wilderness. We went through this in the Gospel of Mark, so I don't need to repeat this. So John's birth is very important to the story, but now we came to Mary's birth announcement, the birth announcement of Jesus to Mary, the text I read. Now you put those two announcements side by side and there's a contrast between them. Now notice the supernatural element in Mary's case. Elizabeth and Zacharias was certainly miraculous, barren, old age, and so on. But you got something that supersedes that. You've got a girl who is a virgin. Actually, this word means that, but it also means that she's of marriageable age. The Greek word for that's translated virgin is parthenon. And it has that idea that she's not, this isn't talking about a little girl who's a virgin. This is talking about a woman who is ready to get married and is a virgin. And it mentions that twice, that she is a a virgin in verse 27, to a virgin. Then secondly, it says that she was betrothed to Joseph. 
Betrothal is comparable to, in the Western culture, to engagement. But there's a big difference because a betrothal involved a legal pledge to be married. It was very binding. People break their engagements all the time. They get engaged, they give a ring, and then they decide, nah, I don't think I want to marry this person, and it's over with. You didn't do that if you're betrothed. You made a pledge. And in order to get out of a betrothal, you had to divorce that person. You had to go through a divorce proceedings to get out of even the betrothal. That's why when Jan read from Matthew 1, it said of Joseph when he realized his bride-to-be, to whom he was betrothed, she was pregnant and he knew he was not the father, he was going to divorce her, but he was going to do it very privately. He didn't want to draw attention to it. He's a very wonderful and godly man, was Joseph. He didn't want to bring any shame to her. And so Matthew has given us that little detail about Joseph, what kind of a character he was. Pretty wonderful guy, actually, as was Mary. So these are the two things that are brought out about Mary. In order to get out of this engagement, it would have required uh, a divorce. And when you're betrothed, you have not yet consummated the marriage. So which is the greater miracle here? between the announcement of John's birth and then it goes right into the announcement of Jesus' birth. One is a miracle, but then it is superseded by even a greater miracle. So right off, we're now introduced to something miraculous, very miraculous in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first point. Now, secondly, another thing that comes out here, this is my second point, is Mary's perplexity in verse 34. This also brings it out. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I do not know a man? Notice she doesn't, there's no expression of doubt here or that she disbelieved it. She is simply wondering, how, how is it going to happen? That's her question. She's perplexed. She's wondering how she's going to get pregnant. Notice that she understands Gabriel to be telling her that she is going to have a baby when she is betrothed, before she gets married to Joseph. That's how she understands it. She doesn't assume that this baby is going to be the fruit of her union with Joseph. She's thinking entirely in terms, 
It's going to happen when I'm betrothed, when I do not know a man. You catch that? That's an important point. Now, we might want to ask, why, why was it like that? Why did she assume that the child was going to be given to her when she's not yet married? Well, the, the Roman Catholic Church has an answer for that question. They say that Mary already made a vow to remain a perpetual virgin. That she had told God, I'm never going to have relations with a man. This is how they would explain it. This is, uh, I want to respond to that. This would be unthinkable for a Jewish woman to take a vow of perpetual virginity. The goal and the dream of every Jewish woman is to have babies, to have children. You have the cases in the Old Testament, the patriarchs' wives that were barren, all of them were, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, Rachel, the, or Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, Rachel, the wife of Jacob, they were all barren, but were given children miraculously when God gave them babies. And then you have Hannah, who came later, the mother of Samuel, who also was barren. And then, of course, Elizabeth right here in Luke chapter 1. The worst thing that could happen to a Jewish woman would be infertility and not being able to have children. So the idea that Mary would vow to be a perpetual virgin and never to have children is just not a, a correct explanation. And the fact is, she did have other children because the text says that when she gave birth to Jesus, it was her firstborn. You would not use that language unless she had more children, Jesus being the firstborn. And we, we will see it when we, as we go through the Gospel of Mark and come to Mark chapter 6. It actually names four brothers of Jesus. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. He had four brothers and plural sisters. So Joseph and Mary had a normal relationship. Matthew's Gospel goes on to say that Joseph did not know his wife until Mary had brought forth her firstborn son. So they had a normal relationship after Jesus was born. But here's the real explanation of why Mary assumed that she was going to have a baby as betrothed to Joseph. She was familiar with the Old Testament. And all the stories in the Old Testament about the women I just mentioned who were barren, did not have children, 
But God came to them and told them that they would have babies. They were all married. And Mary was told this when she's not yet married. She's only betrothed. She understood the announcement as being, I'm going to have this baby, and Joseph's not going to be a part of it. That's why the story goes on to tell us about her conception. Notice verses 35 to 37. This is my third point. How is Mary going to get pregnant? Her conception is the work of God. But what's interesting is the language that is used. So let's look at the language in verse 35. Notice what the angel says. This is how he explains it. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is what Joseph was told in Matthew chapter 1. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that he's the agent, the divine agent in Mary's pregnancy. It's the Holy Spirit. Who is it that gives new life to the Christian? We are born again by the Spirit. It's interesting that life is communicated, particularly spiritual life, through the work of the Spirit. In this case, the Spirit is involved in Mary's pregnancy, in the creation of life within her physical life. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now notice this. And the power of the Most High. This is, you had to factor in to this miracle, divine power. And that's why he goes on to say, for nothing is going to be impossible with God. When people struggle with the accounts in the Bible of miracles, manna falling from heaven for 40 years while Israel was in the wilderness, feeding them every day with heavenly food, that miracle, the miracle of Jonah being swallowed by the great fish, the miracle of Elisha and Elijah raising people from the dead. They all, all the problems that one might have believing in that, it all goes away if you just suppose that God is omnipotent. We're talking about a God who has all power, who created the universe that we live in with no pre-existent materials. God didn't have a pile of rocks and dirt over here that he used to make the earth. The earth came into existence by the word of his power. Think of that. Think of that. This is the God of the Bible. So if you presuppose a being with that kind of power, and in theology we say it is omnipotent, that means all power. He has all power. Anything is possible and nothing is impossible with God. So it's, God can cause Mary to get pregnant without a man. But it's a great miracle. 
completely unheard of. So the power of the Most High, now notice this third expression, will overshadow you. That's an interesting one because it's a metaphor of a cloud coming over and casting a shadow. And it's actually, there's two ideas in that. God often showed up in the form of a cloud on Mount Sinai when he was protecting his people from the Egyptians. There was a cloud and a pillar involved in that. So it's, it represents God's presence. His power is going to overshadow you. But also the idea of it casting a shadow and there's darkness, that tells me that this is something very mysterious. This is very secretive. There, there is no theologian that can tell you how this happened. I can't tell you how it happened. I can only say is that it was a miraculous thing that God caused to happen. That Mary's body would become pregnant through just herself without a man. An amazing thing. But this is how God was going to create a body for his son. Remember what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 5, when the son came from heaven, he says, quoting the psalmist, a body you have prepared for me. This is how God prepared the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it miraculously through the Holy Spirit's agency. Now, as a result of this divine intervention, this miraculous pregnancy, therefore... The child, here's the result of this pregnancy. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. I want to give another rendering of this in the original language. That which is born of you, rather, The holy thing to be born of you shall be called the Son of God. Notice how it says that. That holy thing, it's neuter in the Greek. It's not masculine. It it says it in the neuter. Not masculine, not feminine. Because speaking of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ... That holy thing, because it was the Son of God who gave personality to his body. I'm going into a theological point here I wasn't planning on going into, but Jesus is not two persons, he's one person. And it was the Son of God that gave personhood to the body that was created in the womb of Mary. In other words, if you take the Son of God away from the person of Jesus Christ, you don't have a person. There'd be no Jesus. You just, you wouldn't be the same. It's the personality of the Son of God that came into the body created in the womb of Mary 
by the Holy Spirit. That holy thing born of you will be called the Son of God. And you have both of his natures. He's born, it's a human, but it's the Son of God who gives personality to him. Meaning the the person who came down from heaven. He came down from heaven, entered into the womb of Mary, and to be born a child. So this is a miraculous thing. This is no ordinary person that's being described. He's unlike any other person in human history. So we would expect when he grows up that he's going to be a remarkable and extraordinary person that is being described here just at the time of his birth. And of course, he is. No other person like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Gabriel uh, adds to that, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this in the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, in the next section, verses 39 to 45... Mary runs off to Elizabeth. It says that she makes haste to go visit Elizabeth. It's her relative. Because she was told Elizabeth is pregnant. She got pregnant six months ago. Mary knows that was a miraculous pregnancy. But look at what's happened to me. i got to tell her. So she goes to Elizabeth. And this is my fourth point. Mary is already pregnant with Jesus when she goes to see Elizabeth. Why is that important to the story? Because she's betrothed to Joseph. Joseph is not her husband yet. Again, we're confronted with this underlying theme through this whole narrative of the miraculous conception of Jesus. And his birth. How do we know that Mary was pregnant with with Jesus? Let me just say that most think that when she answered the angel Gabriel in verse 38 and said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Be to me according to your word. And the angel left her. After she said that, There was no unbelief in Mary, no doubt. She just had a question about how's it going to happen. That's all. That was her only question. How's this going to be that she became pregnant? And she goes to Elizabeth. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country in the to a town in Judah. So Mary is up in Nazareth. She's in the north of Israel. So she travels down to Judah, down in the area of Jerusalem, to some town down there where her cousin or relative Elizabeth lived. Now notice what happens. 
And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That is, the baby that Elizabeth was carrying. Who was she carrying? Carrying John the Baptist. Who we were told he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. In other words, John is born regenerated. He's born a saved soul. Can God save an infant? Oh yes, he can. He can save an infant. He can regenerate an infant so that they have eternal life. John came out of the womb a saved man, saved baby. John leaped in her womb when Mary, pregnant with Jesus, only six months difference in age, came into the home. John leaped because he's in the presence of the one who he's going to go before and announce his coming. And she mentions it again. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came into my ears, the baby in my womb leaped. And then she says he leaped for joy. This is amazing. John leaped in her womb for joy because Mary was carrying Jesus. She's pregnant. Notice what else Elizabeth says. This is a very enlightening passage. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Notice she didn't say Blessed are you above women. That's important. Mary has been elevated to a place above women. That's not what the New Testament says. She, Elizabeth said it correctly. Mary was a teenager. She was a wonderful, godly young girl. Sovereignly selected by God to be the instrument of bringing his son into the world in a human body. She's amazed that she was chosen. She's so humble about it. She can't get over it. In fact, if we would go on, we would read her Magnificent, which follows this passage, which is her praise to God that he looked upon her in her humble estate and had blessed her like this. This was an amazing gift She was blessed among women. Elizabeth said it correctly. And then Elizabeth said, she's she's overwhelmed with the joy and the privilege of having Mary come to her carrying who? This is how Elizabeth says it. The mother of my Lord. This young teenage girl is the mother of my Lord. In other words, my God. This is what she's saying. She's overwhelmed. That that adds to the fact that Mary's pregnant, by the way. She's carrying the Lord right there in her womb. The mother of my Lord. So, 
So, again, Mary's pregnancy, her miraculous pregnancy, while betrothed, engaged, pledged. We don't use that word betrothed, though I understand it's an old word, but it's the one in my Bible version. But here's a fifth line, and this really comes out of the second chapter. If you had a copy of the Word of God, then you would be able to uh, follow along with this, um, however you want to. This is my fifth point. Mary, Mary is given prominence in this whole story. She's just, she is the one that's given a place above all the others. Uh, Just look at this. So when John's birth announcement is made, it's made to John's father, Zechariah. Gabriel goes to him. Zechariah is a priest. He's ministering in the temple in Jerusalem. He's actually burning incense at the altar of burnt incense, which was right right in front of the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And when he goes in to burn incense, Gabriel is there on the right side of the altar of incense. And he has this conversation with the angel Gabriel. But when Gabriel goes to announce the birth of Jesus, who does he go to? The mother. To Mary. So that's interesting. In the one case, he goes to the father of John, and in Jesus' case, it's Mary. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're mentioned by name uh, 13 times uh, in Luke's account. Chapter 1 and 2, 13 times, both of them, equal number. Joseph, the supposed father of Jesus, uh, to use the language of Luke 3.23, when it's talking about Jesus' genealogy, the supposed father of Jesus, he's only mentioned five times in the account, five times. Mary, 16 times. And when you get into the second chapter, here's some of the instances. Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, verse 5 of chapter 2. And this was something I saw for the first time. Read the story many, many times. I didn't really catch it, the detail. That verse, chapter 2 and verse 5, is in the context of when Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem to register for the census that Caesar Augustus decided to take to find out who was in his kingdom in the Roman Empire. And it forced, this is how God in his providence got Joseph and Mary, who were up in the northern part of Israel, up in Galilee, in Nazareth, how he got them 
to Bethlehem so that Jesus would be born in the place that the Old Testament said he was going to be born. He did it through the Roman emperor who decided, I need to take a tent census and find out who's in my empire. That forced Joseph to go back to Bethlehem because of the family connection that he had with King David. He was of the house of David, and he had to go back to his original roots to register for the census. That's how he got them to Bethlehem. Well, the text says that Mary and Joseph were still betrothed to each other. They weren't married when they went to Bethlehem. I've never thought about that. They didn't become married until Jesus was born, and then it says Joseph knew his wife after she gave birth to Jesus. This was a pregnancy during her betrothal. Very obvious. Then in verse 7 of chapter 2, she gave birth to her firstborn son. It's all about Mary. Verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. That's in response to the shepherds who were watching their flocks at night when the glory of God shone around them and announced the birth of the Savior. They went to Bethlehem to see for themselves. And Mary and Joseph were witnessing this whole thing. And what do you think she was doing? Oh, she was taking it in. She was remembering these details. She would never forget it. How God sent the shepherds to come and acknowledge his birth, his entrance into the world. Verse 33, the text, Joseph and his mother. The the emphasis, it's all about Mary, his mother. Verse 34, Mary, his mother. Verse 43, Joseph and his mother. Verse 48, his mother said to him, this is when he was 12 years old and he was in the temple, having stayed behind, they thought that he was with them when they returned home from the Passover. And they realized he wasn't with them and they ran back to Jerusalem looking all over for him. And where did they find him? They found the 12-year-old boy, they found him in the temple with the doctors of theology asking questions and answering their questions. And they were all amazed at what he was saying to them. And so finally, when Joseph and Mary found him there, he said, son, where have you been? We've been looking for you all over. It was Mary who spoke to him, not Joseph. And finally, in verse 51, again, another statement about Mary, his mother treasured up all those things in her heart. So Mary receives uh, special attention in this over Joseph. Why? Because she was the channel for his coming into the world. She was the person who God used to be the one to give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. If if Jesus had been the child of both Mary and Joseph, you would not have this discrepancy in the account between them. 
as much attention would have been given to Joseph as to Mary, as in the case of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were mentioned equally the same number of times. So for those reasons, we believe that the virgin birth, the virgin conception, the virgin birth of Jesus is central to the Christian story, to Christianity. It is central to Christmas, the Christmas story. This is a very important element, and we need to keep it there. In fact, the virgin birth has been said to be the linchpin of Christianity. I never heard, I've heard that term, but never thought, what does that mean, the linchpin? So I looked it up, and a linchpin is, is a part that holds together several things. It kind of holds the whole thing together so that all those parts function as a unit. And I thought, well, maybe really because of some of the stuff I did when I was younger working on cars, it reminded me of another pin, a cotter pin. I did some brake repair when I was younger, replaced brake shoes and all of that. Greasing bearings and the whole assembly of the uh, related to taking a brake apart kind of is kept in place because of a simple little cotter pin. This person who said that is saying, This is what the virgin birth is to Christianity. It's like a cotter pin, it's the linchpin that puts it all together. And let me work it out for you. Just suppose Jesus was not born of a virgin. If he wasn't born of the Virgin Mary and was the product of Joseph and Mary's relationship, then he was not the Son of God. He was a regular man like everybody else. And if he was a regular man, then his death on the cross has no particular significance. He died an unjust death. It was not, could not be an atonement for our sins. He could not provide redemption for his people. So this, this particular belief is central to the belief system of Christianity. You cannot pull the virgin birth out and say, well, I believe everything, but this is just too much. I can't accept this. No, it all goes together. It's a unit of thought. It's a unit of teaching that's very, very critical that we hold to it and hold fast to it. So, and let me just conclude with, with, this, with this thought. So what, what we read in the Christmas story, it is really a miraculous appearance of the God of the universe the infinite, eternal God entering into time and history as an infant. The infinite one becomes an infant. <laughs> this is how you remember this. This is an amazing thing. This is the greatest, most amazing thing that ever happened in this world, that the infinite became an infant. Why? As the old creed said... Who for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven 
born of the Virgin Mary, by the work of the Holy Spirit, and so on. I'm not quoting it exactly. So this is, add this to your celebration of Christmas, because this is the most wonderful thing that's ever happened. This sets the stage for the remarkable life of the person of Jesus of Nazareth that comes to a head and a climax in what we do here. Because he was born to die. This is why he came. He came to deal with the problem of sin and man's alienation from God. And the only way that could be taken care of is if he substituted himself in our place and bore the punishment of our sin so that we could be forgiven. This is... This is the good news of the gospel. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.